All right, so we are going to be continuing in Joshua. Uh, if you got the emails, if you saw our midweek video, you know that last Sunday we were preaching through Joshua 9, and then in the middle of the week we looked at um, kind of 10 and 11. We, we skipped over 12, uh, and that's one of those passages that, you know, we talked about this in the video. Everything is in there for a reason, and so don't skip over, just because we don't preach on something like that, don't skip over it, right? It's part of Scripture for a reason. But we were in 9, we looked at 10, 11, and 12, now we're going to be in 13 and 14. So before we do, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that it's all about you. We thank you that the point of this is not to magnify ourselves. The point of, the point of this should never be to, to point to our own attention. Lord, so be magnified in our lives. Be magnified in this service. As we continue to worship God through the act of studying your word and engaging with your truth, free our minds, free our hearts to be present in this time, Lord. To be freed from the distractions and the weights that we carry. To come before you on your throne and seek to learn from you. We want to know you, Lord. We want, to, we want to be molded to look like Jesus. We want to love you with all of us. Lead this time, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I said we're looking at 13 and 14. We're, we're going to be in 13 very briefly. And 13 kind of serves because now we're getting into a chunk of Joshua where, again, just like I said with chapter 12, sometimes it's tempting for us to say, okay, this, these chapters are just lists of details. Why are we spending time in them? And I know in my own life at times I've been guilty of glossing over sections of the Bible where the lesson isn't as flashing neon, right? Like I want something easy. I want to be able to open a chapter, look at a verse that says, do this, and I say, okay, that's easy. I don't have to think hard about that, so I'm going to spend my time here. And there are times where I've been guilty of skipping over the chapters that at first glance are lists of details and people and places and things like that. But when we take our time, when we're deliberate with God's word, we see there is so much rich truth in all of these details. And so that's what we're going to look at. In chapter 13, if you recall with me the themes of Joshua that we've looked at, uh, that God goes before us and fights for us. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God positions people for his plan and to be a testimony to those around them. So therefore, we are called to live with courage and obedience rooted in faith in Yahweh. And the real battle is spiritual. We identified those five themes of Joshua. And in chapter 13, in, in one verse in chapter 13, we see three of those verses, or three of those themes rather, I'm sorry, three of those themes emphasized and drawn attention to. Consider Joshua 13, 6. In this chapter starts, Joshua is old. The Lord says to him, hey, you still have these lands to conquer. You still have this work to do. Here's what you're going to do. And he starts giving the details of what's ahead for Joshua. But then in verse 6, God says this to Joshua, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. And if we look at a chapter like 13, where there's just a lot of names, a lot of places, we miss that. But when we take our time, when we deliberately go through Scripture, we see that verse and we're reminded, okay, the people of Israel are conquering this land, not of their own might, not of their own power, not of their own accord, but they are doing so because God is going before them and driving out the enemy before them. And so chapter 13 does a great job of recentering our focus about halfway through the book now. And it reminds us of these themes that are established back in chapter 1 of Joshua. And so I wanted to make sure we, we drew our attention to that to start. And we have those themes in mind as we continue. Because then we get to chapter 14. 
and we get to the story of an individual who provides us such a beautifully powerful example of someone whose life reflects these themes. Their approach to life reflects the truth of what we see in Joshua. We come to chapter 14, and I want to read verses 6 through 14. Joshua 14, starting in verse 6, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Then Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, to the, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron firmly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. We get an unbelievable example set for us in Joshua 14. See, Caleb demonstrates the proper perspective of someone in the Lord's army. And reminder, all believers are in the Lord's army. And Caleb demonstrates for us this mindset. And not just a mindset. Caleb doesn't just know these things. Caleb lives out what he claims. And we see this. What's it say in verse 7 and 8? Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. This is referencing before the Israelites, now they're in the land, now they're in the promised land, but before this happened, this is referencing Numbers 14. And I want to read those so we have the full context of this. This is when the people have been told, okay, go spy the land. You're not yet in the promised land. This is the land I'm promising you. Go spy it out. And in Numbers 14, the spies come back. There were 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb and 10 others. The other 10 come back and they say, this is going to be a disaster. There are way too many people there. The land is occupied. They're fierce. They're warriors. We can't do this. And then Caleb and Joshua speak up. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. See, this improper perspective of the other ten spies, it grieves Caleb and Joshua. They tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's their perspective compared to the other ten. 
How does God react to this difference? What is God's response to the difference of Caleb and Joshua? For that, we go forward just a few verses. Still in Numbers 14 to verse 24, the Lord is speaking now. And he says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And then we come back to Joshua, and Caleb reaffirms this. And I want us to consider that idea of how God described Caleb. He says, my servant Caleb has a different spirit. And make no mistake, guys, and this is, this is a hard truth. <laughs> this is one of those, you know, you talk about, and, and we're going to get the stuff in this chapter that's really super encouraging and will be, it was a lot of fun to study, and it made me feel good to study it. This was part of studying that made me feel convicted and made me go before the Lord and say, okay, God, change me, transform me. Because who is Caleb's spirit being compared to? I think a lot of times it's easy for believers to look at the unbelieving world around us and say, well, clearly I'm different from them. Clearly I have a different spirit than the, than the world around me. Clearly I am different than the world around me who claims no love of God. I'm doing well. And make no mistake, we're called to be different from the world around us. But Caleb is commended and Joshua is commended because they have a different spirit from the other of God's people. And this is something that we see throughout Scripture. Consider Ezekiel 22, 26 through 30. This is God speaking about the people of Israel. God speaking about his people. And in Ezekiel 22, God says, Her priests have done violence to my law and profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. God lays out all these problems with the priests of his people, the priests of Israel. Then he goes on to talk about the princes, their legal rulers, their legal authorities. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And then he talks about the prophets, and her prophets has smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. God looks at every category of leadership within his people and says, You've abandoned me. Well, at least the people are off the hook. Not so fast. Then God says, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. God is laying out all these problems with his people. And then what does he say he looks for? God says, and I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God was looking from someone among his own people who was willing to be different from their peers. God commends Caleb and Joshua because they were willing to be different from their peers. Consider David and Goliath. When David goes to the battlefield, where are the rest of his people? Where are the rest of his peers? They're hiding. They're afraid to engage with Goliath because they're looking at their obstacles. They're looking at their opponents. They're looking at the situation in front of them. David shows up and in a different spirit says, forget the obstacle in front of us. God is with us. 
You are not profaning the armies. You're profaning the armies of the Lord, David says. And so I will fight you to show that God is victorious. The spies in Numbers were obsessed with the obstacles in front of them, the circumstances around them. They were intimidated by these things. And Caleb and Joshua say, no, forget those things because God is with us. Scripture gives us a bounty of examples of people who were different from their peers. Make no mistake, I want this church to be different from the world around us. But man, in a lot of ways, I want this church to be different from our peers. God commends Caleb for having a different spirit. In Ezekiel, God says, this is who I looked for. I searched my people for one person who was willing to be different, and I couldn't find him. Church, we, we got to ask ourselves, are we willing to be of a different spirit like Caleb? Could what God commends Caleb for be commended of us today? Could God look at the American church and say, you know what, the people of Community Bible Church, you have a different spirit, and I commend you for that. Are we willing to stand? Consider Caleb and Joshua where they stood against the majority. David stood against the majority. Are we willing to do the same, church? Are we willing to look at where so much of Christian culture is going and say, no, you know what, forget it. I might stand in the minority. I might be the only one walking onto that battlefield, but I'm going to do it because that's where God is. And that's what he's called me to do. Are we willing to be like Caleb with this proper perspective and be people of a different spirit? We need to be. There's, I, I don't see any way around it. We need to be. Because then what do we see? For the people who are of a different spirit, what do we, what do we see? Let's go back to Joshua. And this is what I said. Now there's also stuff that's very easy to study and, and encouraging to study. Joshua 14, 10 through 12. Let me reread those. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. Down to verse 12. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Part of Caleb's different spirit, I believe, is his full realization that everything has to come back to the glory and the power of God. Every time Caleb spoke about his perspective, he redirected it to, I believe this because God said it. I will do it because God said it. And what do we see happens in the life of Caleb that everything God says comes to pass. Chapter 14 in Joshua is such a wonderful reminder that God is faithful. It is such a beautiful story of the faithfulness of God. God says, Caleb, I will do this, and he does it. Why? Because that's who God is. Take joy in this. Take strength from this. Be strengthened knowing that the Lord is faithful in our lives. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Lamentations 2.17. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word which he commanded long ago. 
Ezekiel 24, 14, I am the Lord, I have spoken, it shall come to pass, I will do it. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, remember this and stand firm. See, where does Caleb's strength to stand firm come from? It comes from the Lord. So when I say, church, are we willing to be different? I'm not asking you to be different with the elders and I standing on our own strength. I'm not asking you to be different standing on the strength of the elders and I. I'm asking you to be different with us because we are going to stand in the strength of the Lord. Why? Because that's what Scripture says. It's where our lives must begin. Isaiah 46, verse 8, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east to the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God proved himself to be faithful in the lives of the Israel at every turn. Why? Because that's who he is. God is faithful today because he has not changed. So we stand in joy, we stand in strength because we are standing on the faithfulness of the promises of Yahweh. That's why we approach these things with a fighter's attitude, with the fire of Caleb. Be strengthened knowing that God is faithful. What's this mean for us today, though? The saying that's great. I don't see the promised land today. So you're talking about taking this principle of the faithfulness of God from the Old Testament, but what does that mean for us today? Well, let's consider what we've been promised by God. Let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Why were we saved? To be the praise of His glory. The purpose. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of His glory. And don't miss, quick aside, don't miss the awesome Trinitarian working in harmony in these verses. You see God, you see Jesus, and you see the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity working in beautiful harmony with one another. And I love it. God promises the inheritance through Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's such a, a great passage for that reminder of the Godhead. Consider Hebrews 9, 15. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Again and again, we see this promise of an inheritance. So what is that inheritance? What is that beautiful, wonderful inheritance? And how are we to respond to it? This is Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message could be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, you 
you, you, you believer, have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into innumerable angels in festal gathering, into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, into God, the judge of all, into the spirits of the righteous made perfect, into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is our inheritance. Our inheritance is a celebration feast in heaven. Our inheritance is perfect, restored fellowship with God, fellowship with Jesus, innumerable angels in festal gathering. The church should be the most joyful group of people in the world. If nothing else, Christians should stand out because we have a joy that cannot be touched or dimmed by the trials of this life. Why? Because I have been promised by Yahweh, who is always faithful, that I will receive an inheritance of that. What? I mean, seriously, what are you going to do that's going to take that away? What can the world throw at me that is not trumped by eternal festal celebration with God and Jesus? You're going to give me 80 years of difficulty? Cool, I've got eternity of celebration with Jesus. You're going to give me 90 years of difficulty? Cool, I've got an eternity of celebration with Jesus. You're going to ask for 70 years of hard work and strife? Cool, I've got an eternity to celebrate with God and Jesus. I mean, the church should be so marked by a spirit of joy that is different from the world around us that people are compelled to ask us about it. Guys, oh, please, if nothing else, leave here today celebrating that that's your inheritance. This week, if you're having a hard day, just close your eyes and think, all right, my inheritance is an eternal celebration feast with God and Jesus. All right, world, I'm looking ahead to my inheritance. You can't touch my joy. Please, please, family, be strengthened and be joyful in the reminders of the faithfulness of God and what he has promised. I believe this is why Caleb had a different spirit, because he was looking at the inheritance promised by God, knowing that it was Yahweh who stood behind that promise. You know, we use that phrase, take it to the bank, right? I mean, there's no one who can endorse a check like God. That's a promise you can take to the bank. This is what Caleb lived for. This is what Caleb set his eyes on. This is why Caleb had a different spirit than even his peers. And so now let's go back to Caleb. Because Caleb waited on the Lord. Right? It says, for 45 years, Caleb waited on the Lord for his inheritance. But Caleb was not passive in his waiting. And this is also why I believe he had a different spirit. Because, see, waiting on God is not like waiting for an appointment. It's not like waiting for your flight where you're just sitting there in the airport and there's nothing you can do. So you're just, well, until the plane gets here, I'm just going to sit and try and fall asleep. That's not what Christian waiting is. How did Caleb describe his waiting? Let's go back to Joshua 14. And I took my bookmark out, which was not smart. <laughs> Joshua 14, 11 and 12. 
I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Listen to how he describes his strength. And when he talks about his strength, he's talking about his, his passion, his energy, right? He's talking about this is how I choose to spend myself. This is how I choose to spend my life. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out. Just as the Lord said. Caleb's like, man, I've been waiting 45 years. And every day I've been spending my energy in the same way I was back then. Fighting for the promised land. For going out and for coming. So now give me this land, which is filled with warriors in their fortified cities, and then y'all come along and do the work for me while I coast, because I've been working hard for 45 years. No, Caleb says, I've been working hard for 45 years for the Lord, so now give me this further obstacle, and I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go drive them out. I'm going to go continue to fight, to continue to spend my energy on pursuing the Lord's will. This is who Caleb was. I love Caleb. Consider these verses. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So since we heard that you became believers, Paul's writing to the Colossians. He's saying, since I heard that you became believers, I have not stopped praying for you for some specific things. I've not stopped praying for you for financial prosperity. I have not stopped praying for you for perfect health. I've not stopped praying for you for just a really easy life where you could just kind of hang out and, you know, just enjoy being saved and things would go well for you. Anybody think that's what Paul prayed for? Spoiler alert, no, I made that all up. This is how Paul actually prayed for the Colossians. He says, Since we have heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Maybe you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Comes back to God. For all endurance and patience with joy. Goes back to the joy of the promises of God. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul says, I heard you became believers and I have not stopped praying for you. Because now the real work begins. Now the battle begins. Now you get to endure. Now you get to bear fruit in every good works. I have not stopped praying for you, desiring that you would be active in this, that you would go after this, that this would drive you. Waiting on the Lord is not passive. It is never passive. Consider Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Titus 3, 7 through 8. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, it goes back to the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the inheritance of God through Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. In case you're ever like Sam, he's up a little bit. 
Like maybe can't these be suggestions? I'm going to quote Titus. I'm going to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The expectation of the believer is an active life. Doing something with your faith, bearing good fruit. It is never about sitting on the sideline. It is never about, well, I'm sure they're praying. I'm sure they're serving. I'm sure they're giving. I'm sure they're trying to advance the kingdom of God. I'm a coast and let them do their thing. That is never the life of the believer. Mark 13, 32 to 37. This is Jesus speaking. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. World's messed up. World's always been messed up, if we're being honest. I know in our own lifetimes, though, it feels like it's getting more messed up. And we may be right. See, that's the crazy thing about human history, is people have been saying these are the end times, going all the way back to the bubonic plague, World War I, World War II, the nuclear bomb. Like, people have been saying these are the end times for all of human history. At some point, somebody's got to be right. So maybe we're the generation that's right. What are we doing until then? What if we're right? So what? So what if we're right? What have we been commanded to do until the day that Jesus comes back? No one knows the time. So Jesus says, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. Mike, you've been commanded by Jesus to make disciples, proclaim the gospel, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, teach repentance, be his witnesses. Does that change if Jesus is coming back Friday? What about next Friday? What about Friday three years from now? If Jesus comes back tomorrow or ten years from now, my charge is to do his work. Church, are we hearing this? Jesus says, you don't know when I'm coming back. So until then, I have given you the work to do. Jesus expects that the believer will be active in the waiting. He puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is where it goes back to Caleb was willing to be different from his peers. Are we willing to be a church made up of people who are awake, who are servants at their work, not knowing when the master will return? Waiting on God, waiting on his inheritance is joyful. It's strengthening. It's such a beautiful hope. It's active. It is active waiting It is never about sitting back and letting other people... Caleb didn't say, hey, I hung out and let the rest of the nation do their thing. Caleb said, no, for 45 years, my strength and energy has been the same now as it was back then to go to war for God. That's who David was. 
This is who God looked for in Ezekiel. This is Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah seeing a problem and saying, okay, I'm going to do something about it if God is with me. But he's burdened by the issue. Nehemiah doesn't hang out and wait for other people to take charge of the, of the situation. Nehemiah goes after it. Esther and Haman. Esther says, well, maybe I'll hang back. And Haman says, no, do you really think that if you hang back, or uh, not Haman, Haman's a bad guy. Uh, Mordecai, hey, look at you guys. Well done. That's why we needed you here this morning. Haman's a bad guy. Mordecai's the good guy, the uncle. Mordecai says to Esther, no, do you really think your family will be spared if you hang back? What if it's possible that you were made for a time just like this? Church, it's so easy for us to stay huddled up in our house and say, look at that world around us. Look at it crash and burn. Man, I hope somebody does something about it. What if we were made for a time like this? God knew when he was going to make us. I think God deliberately makes us for the time we're in. So maybe, just maybe, instead of us sitting here in fear, looking at the world around us, saying, what is going on with these psychos? Look how disaster it is. Maybe we say, oh, it's time to do some damage against the gates of hell. I'm going to get off the sideline. Like Caleb, maybe I've been doing it for 45 years. Cool, I'm going to keep doing it. Why? Because our eyes aren't on the world around us. Our eyes aren't on the obstacles. Caleb's eyes weren't on the Anakim. David's eyes weren't on Goliath. Their eyes were on Yahweh. Our eyes need to be on Yahweh. And when our eyes are on Yahweh, we say, look at the inheritance we've received. World, what are you going to throw at me? I'm going to battle for God today. This is the work we've been given, church. Active waiting. Specifically, what has God said? What has Jesus said? Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Mark 16, proclaim the gospel to all creation. Acts 1.8, be my witnesses. You want to know what you're to do with your day? You're to make disciples, you're to proclaim the gospel, you're to be witnesses for Jesus. And I don't care if you're 10 or 99. You're going to do this until the day Jesus comes back and or gives us our inheritance. This is what we've been called to. This is what Caleb models for us in Joshua 14. It's beautiful. It's, it's a chance to be on the greatest victory humanity has ever known. And, and we're going to want to stay on the sidelines? You ever listen to interviews of athletes when their team has won a Super Bowl or a World Series or a Stanley Cup, but they were injured and they couldn't take part in the final game? They're all excited to receive the ring but they almost always express, I wish I could have been out there. Right? I wish I could have been, I wish I could have been out there playing. I wish I could have been out there doing something to help my team. Church. Man. Can we be different from our peers? Can this be a church of believers willing to stand apart from their own crowd because we are active every day of our lives 
till Jesus returns and we receive our inheritance. Can this, can this be a church of Caleb's? It's got to start here. You got to hold me accountable to this. Elders, this is your, you got to hold me accountable to this. And they do. These guys push me more than anybody else in my life. I love it. All right? If you recall part of our video from this past week where we looked at Joshua you know, 10, 11, and 12, going back to Joshua 9, Mario and I talked about how it's fair for the people to have expectations of their leadership. We see that in Joshua 9 and 10 and 11. It's fair for you guys to expect that difference will begin here. But I'm, I'm asking you, can we be different together? Can we be Caleb together? Active in our waiting, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, being witnesses for Jesus until he returns. To go back to Ezekiel, I told Mario, so Mario's new to the staff, so Mario's new to the elder text chain. I told Mario that the, the elder text chain gets Ezekiel 22 from me about once every two months, where God says, I looked for a man willing to stand in the gap. Church, we just, we gotta be willing to stand in the gap. We have to be willing to be different. Thank the Lord that he gave us this example of Caleb to learn from and this standard to pursue. So this week, as we consider this, there are five chapters, five days of the week, Saturday for catch-up, works out perfectly. Read Matthew 25, Mark 13, Ephesians 1, Philippians 3, Hebrews 12. We'll send this out in an email, take a picture now. Five chapters, five days, y'all can do it. I'm going to do it too. The elders are going to do it too. It'll be great. And then what are we going to do? Right, what's the application of these chapters? What's the application of Joshua 14? Well, we just looked at that God has called us to be active in our waiting, and Jesus identifies that as discipleship and evangelism. So this week, I want you to reach out to one other believer, not in your family. Can't be under the same roof as you. I want you to reach out to another believer and set aside time to pray together. Discipleship, going deeper in fellowship with the Lord, with other believers. Nobody reached out to you? Great, my question is going to be, who'd you reach out to? Initiate, take ownership. Be active in this. And then evangelism. I want you to pray with one random person this week. Stranger. Maybe it's a waiter, maybe it's a waitress who you see regularly. But, but I want you to pray with one random person this week. I do this all the time. And some people look at me like I'm crazy and walk away very quickly. Right? Somebody helps me out in the grocery store. Hey, I really appreciate that. Can I pray for you? How, what, you know, is there something you need prayer for? Nope. Don't go near that guy in the bread aisle. You know what happens more? I've prayed with strangers about loved ones who have cancer and they don't know what to do with it. I've prayed with strangers about family members dying in the hospital and they're, they're devastated at facing this possibility of life without. I prayed for one lady, her sister is in the hospital. And she said, I, I can't, my sister is my best friend. I cannot fathom the, like, what life means without her. And we just, we talked for a little bit and we prayed. And I went back a week later, this was, Talk about groceries. This was in the grocery store. I went back a week later and I saw her and I went over to her and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember. She said, I have not stopped thinking about that prayer this entire week. And this is the best I've felt in a long time. I don't know why. And I said, remember the prayer that you couldn't stop thinking about? See, I believe God works. Wait staff, somebody at the gas station helps you out. I mean, we interact with strangers on a regular basis. 
So pray with one person. If, they'll, if they're okay with it, pray with them. See, that's my second follow-up question. Hey, thank you for bringing us our food. We're going to pray before we eat. Is there anything you'd like prayer for? Yeah, actually, this has been weighing on me. Cool, you want to pray with us? Or you got you to gotta go? Okay, that's fine. We're going to be praying, right? Discipleship and evangelism. These are the two halves of the act of waiting that Jesus calls us to. Let's pursue that this week. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you've made it so plain. Forgive me for when I refuse to see it. I mean, really, Lord, forgive me. For when I get so wrapped up in my own things that I ignore open doors or that I'm not even looking for open doors. Forgive me in my complacency. Forgive me for when I just want to coast. God, you have promised the most incredible inheritance. You are so good, Lord. And you remind us, you teach us over and over again that what you say happens, what you say you will do, you do. Father, we praise you for your faithfulness. God, give us joy in that faithfulness. Give us strength as we wait for our inheritance, and we wait so eagerly and excitedly. But Lord, until we receive that inheritance, may you find us working. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.